Thanks to Sprout Social for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Sprout Social offers businesses an intuitive platform to help build meaningful relationships at scale on social. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com today. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, May 21st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On today's show, we're going to discuss the state of Green Dot. We're going to talk about a potentially growing credit card problem. As always, we'll have one to watch. But we'll begin this week with another installment of Between Two Fools. Ken Tangi is the Chief Financial Officer of Prudential Financial, where he's held a number of positions over a three-decade career. Recently, we had the chance to speak with Ken about Prudential's financial wellness platform and how it ties to the company's purpose in long-term business strategy. So, Ken, I think a lot of our listeners out there are familiar with the name Prudential. I mean, the company was founded back in 1875, so it's been around for a little while. But talk to us today. Can you describe Prudential today? Give us some background on the company for our listeners. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that. So, as, yeah, as you mentioned, we've been around for over 140 years, and we've been serving customers uh, with solutions that provide financial security and peace of mind. And, and we do that in innovative and, and high-quality ways. Uh, Prudential is very much a trusted brand and one of the most admired uh, companies in the world. And our purpose is to make live, people's lives better. Uh, we do that by solving financial challenges in, in the midst of a, a changing world. And, and with that purpose, uh, we have three premier business franchises that are very focused on their strategies, have scale and strong market positions, and together provide a breadth of capabilities that uniquely position Prudential to expand our reach. I'll start in the U.S. with our financial wellness franchise. It serves about 20 million customers with workplace solutions that involve life insurance, disability, and retirement benefits. And we serve another 5 million individual customers again with life insurance and retirement income solutions. So that's our our first. primary franchise in the U.S. Our second is PGM, which is our investment management franchise, and that's a global business, uh, and it's among the top 10 asset managers in the world with over $1.2 trillion of assets under management. It has over 1,400 institutional clients, and they manage over half of the top 300 pension plans in the world. And, and the combination of their breadth of investment expertise, their global reach, and strong investment performance has led to 16 straight years of positive asset flows from their institutional clients. And then our third franchise is our international insurance franchise, and that features our premier life insurance company in Japan, which is recognized for its differentiated level of service and quality and and has consistently grown year after year. Uh, in addition to that, we have a targeted presence in high-growth markets like Brazil, India, Indonesia, China, and Africa, and uh, and so that rounds out our international franchise. So, while each of our three business uh, businesses are very strong and well positioned, we believe the collective power of insurance, investment, and retirement capabilities uh, are together even stronger, both strategically and financially. Well, I mean that definitely that taps in really to I think needs for for everyone really. I mean, no matter what age uh, we're at, I mean financials 
are a part of our lives, whether it's it's planning for the future, whether it is dealing with retirement, whether it's figuring out the appropriate insurance products. It does sound like Prudential is tackling a lot of topics from a lot of different directions. And I think you're right on the brand of the company. That is, that is, you have a very strong brand. It's one that's very recognizable even today. I want to dig a little bit into the financial wellness part that you were talking about earlier, because that really, that that chimes in on a lot of what we are working on here at The Motley Fool in, in helping people take control of their, their financial destiny, so to speak. What is, for Prudential, what is financial wellness? What does that mean to your business today? Yeah, that's uh, thanks for bringing that topic up. You know, financial wellness is is really been Prudential's focus. Uh, you know, since the beginning, and our commitment to helping people achieve financial security and peace of mind has has re- remained consistent and is now stronger than than ever before. And and more and more, the burden of achieving financial wellness is is falling on the individual, and they need more education, tools, and advice to take the steps toward both setting their goals and achieving their financial goals. And, and this burden that are carried by the individuals is weighing on them and, and is a, a major source of stress that materially lowers their productivity in the workplace. And, and therefore, employers are looking for ways to help their employees overcome their financial challenges in order to help them reduce their level of stress, improve their quality of life, and and increase their productivity. And we believe Prudential is uniquely positioned to provide the comprehensive suite of financial wellness services and solutions uh, to both uh, the employees and, and to benefit their, their employers. Uh, we have deep resources in the knowledge of insurance, investment, and retirement, and we can deliver those capabilities in a form that best suits a customer's preference or their profile. Um, and we can do that either in person uh, through a digital experience over the phone or, or a combination of, of those. Um, and so today we see the opportunity of financial wellness first as being, you know, really fully aligned with our company's purpose and an attractive business opportunity to allow us to deepen uh, relationships with existing customers, but also reach a broader market segment. And, and that will result in, in driving a higher level of growth uh, for our business and our, and our earnings. Um, I see this as a way to leverage our existing core capabilities um, while at the same time investing in building uh, technology and service delivery platforms, um, which will both strengthen our current business franchises, but also create sustainable new growth opportunities. Um, you know, so you can think of financial wellness as adding to our growth rate in, uh, in multiple dim- dimensions and also uh, creating shareholder value that, uh, again, once again, is, is very consistent with our fir- focus and purpose. Yeah, I, I appreciate the the point you make about technology there. I mean, clearly, it is changing everything today. I mean, whether it's it's travel or finance or shopping, I mean, it, it, technology has, has affected everything in our lives. And, and you talked about reaching that bigger market, that mass market. Um, you know, we, we talk about the need for financial literacy, financial education, particularly for younger people coming up. It seems like the opportunities are certainly there for those younger people to learn more uh, thanks to the opportunities that you know the technology gives us. But can you talk a little bit more about how Prudential is using technology to reach that mass audience? 
Yeah, so you know, technology is is really key to what to what we're doing and, and how we're trying to uh, to bring new services. Um, you know, both technology and as well as the evolving customer preferences. You know, it's really the big reason we're able to deliver financial wellness to customers uh, that have really been underserved in the past. You know, with the use of technology, um, you know, and 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 not just technology, but the customers' increased comfort with um, you know, technology-enabled solutions, we can reach and serve more customers in, in new and personalized and cost-effective, importantly, uh, cost-effective ways. Um, technology, you know, prevents uh, new ways for us to engage with our customers, and, and we can do that, you know, whether it's through Skype or a fully digital experience. And it's really, it's really critical to our financial wellness approach. You know, let me start, you know, with a, a few elements of, of how this uh, kind of plays out in, in the value chain and, and, and the role technology plays. You know, first, it starts with, you know, how we engage with our customers. You know, a few years ago, we started some financial education seminars that were led in person, uh, face-to-face with our uh, prudential financial advisors, and they were, they were really successful. Um, we delivered it to about 450 employers that had about four and a half million employees, and, and people liked it. It was really valued uh, as an educational tool. But now we've taken that and we've digitized it, and we now have it in a digital form, in a digital platform that provides the same level of personalized education and training, but now because it's digital, we can reach many more people with that, and, and we've made it now available to 3,000 employers and 8 million employees. So you can see how, you know, having a digital capability to talk about financial wellness and, and bring that to customers through, uh, through the use of technology is, is, is much more powerful. But it's not just, you know, engagement and education. Um, you know, customers really need advice to take action. And we launched a, uh, a program we call Link by Prudential. And, and what this is, it's a... Um, it's an online. It's connected to our online di- digital platform, um, and it's where customers can can work with a trained and licensed advisor. It can, they can do it either uh, via video or over the phone. And if, for an example, they can um, create a a financial roadmap uh, for an individual personalized to them in uh, in as short a time as 30 minutes. So the service is is customized and personalized, interactive, um, and it also provides the advice component for people to uh, to take action. And then and then lastly, the solutions that we provide, you know, technology plays a role there as well and a, and a big role. And uh, for example, you know, the process of getting a life insurance policy, you know, used to take uh, two to three months. And what we've done in, in something that we call Prudential Fast Track, uh, we, we use artificial intelligence to, to fine-tune our underwriting process. And now a customer, by answering a series of questions, can get life insurance policy in, in 48 hours. Wow. So you can see you know, whether it's how we engage with our customers, how we give them advice, or how we deliver solutions to them, you know, technology has really advanced our capabilities and, and it hits all aspects of, of the value chain for us. Yeah, that, that link by Prudential site is really robust. I would encourage listeners to get it. Just Google link by Prudential and it'll take you right to that site. That that is that's an impressive setup y'all have there with a lot of different resources and it can get you started 
it seems really quickly. I mean, this strikes me as a great indicator of your leadership in the space. Um, it, it, I mean, it, but it's you know, it, what's that old saying, right? It, it takes a village. I mean, it, it, it always it's not just one uh, company that is going to make it all happen. I mean, I think it really does. Uh, Depend on partnerships and whatnot. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your leadership, Prudential's leadership in the space, and maybe even some of the partnerships that perhaps you have built or in the process of building at this point? Yeah. So there's, you know, this is it's a it's a very important need for the marketplace as a whole, and um, you know, and therefore, you know, it's not just Prudential that that's looking to try to fulfill that need. There, there, there are many, uh, you know, trying to. Uh, to, to serve this this marketplace, um, but to be a leader in what we're calling financial wellness, you know, it really takes a broad array of capabilities. And we believe, if you think about, you know, kind of across the board, you know, uh, Prudential is uh, is a leader in all the critical areas. You know, first, um, you know, you, it, it's important to have ready access to customers. Uh, a lot of times, you know, one of the most costly and and prohibited part is actually just having a reach into customers. But we already have 25 million customers uh, with an existing relationship to, to Prudential. And it's you know, not only do we already have access, but we, um, you know, that those customers were being endorsed uh, by their employer. So we, we feel that's kind of a, a real benefit. Um, financial wellness and, and advising people on their uh, financial affairs, you know, takes trust. And again, uh, as we talk, our, we think our brand, uh, again, built over over centuries, uh, plays to our strength. Um, and you know, more most importantly, customers want a personalized experience. And as as uh, as we described, if you think about things like Link uh, or the uh, the other tools that we have, uh, we're able to deliver a personalized experience with the use of data and and digital platforms. Um, and then to to then. Uh, provide for financial wellness. You you need a broad solution of a, a broad set of solutions rather to to uh, meet their customer needs. And you know if you think about Prudential and our expertise across insurance, investment, and then retirement, you know we think we have a very broad solution set. And then importantly, customers want advice, and we can deliver that advice. Uh, in the form of their preference, whether that would be online, over the phone, a video, a Skype, or, or face-to-face. Uh, and we have n- not just the current capabilities, but we have the scale and resources to continue invest and keep pace with uh, customers' needs and, and technology as, as that evolves. So, you know, although others are, are very competitive in the market space in certain areas, you know, we think we're uniquely positioned again, kind of across the board, to be a leader uh, broadly in financial wellness. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, the company's size, the financial resources. I appreciate the points you made there about you know your customers want advice, and you have many different channels uh, to deliver that advice. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people want that connection, that 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 human touch, that personalized. Feeling that someone cares. You can't just say, "Well, the computer told us to do that, so it happened, and the computer was wrong." I mean, that's not going to be. Uh, you know, people don't want to hear that. That's not. That's not a, a very, a very good answer. So, being able to take that connection, the relationships that you build over time, and then being able to scale that sounds like um, really a tremendous advantage. And you know, we're we're stock analysts first and foremost here. 
So for us, signs of success are, are simple, right? We look for the top line to grow. We like to see earnings per share grow. We look at the market capitalization of the company. We like to see the stock price grow. And, and given that Prudential, the company, has succeeded through the years, what specifically does success look like from your perspective regarding financial wellness? What are the targets out there that indicate success for you? Yeah, and let, let me maybe start more kind of fundamentally, if you will. Um, you know, we, we think the most important first sign of success uh, and, and sort of fundamentally the value we're, we're delivering here is that we are making our customers uh, financially more well. And, uh, and that will improve uh, their, their security, enable them to live better and, and more productive lives. And, and we're measuring that. Uh, and, and, you know, where we've been delivering our services, uh, we see, we see that, that improvement occurring. Uh, the, the value of our financial wellness capabilities is already showing signs of success in the, in the form of, uh, of greater sales in our worksite businesses. Uh, be it in retirement, where we've had $11 billion of sales that were attributed to uh, the, the attractiveness of our financial wellness capabilities, or another $130 million of group insurance sales, also where they recognized uh, the value of what we're delivering to, uh, through our financial wellness capabilities. And, and you know, later, as in, um, individuals utilize our financial wellness services, we also expect they'll take action and increase their use of worksite benefits, um, you know, whether they're increasing their 401k contribution or increasing their level of, of life insurance or disability insurance within their group benefit plan. You know, that's a form of, of, of doing more for themselves and also doing more with Prudential. And then over time, also, Having a more direct relationship and engagement with Prudential will will lead them to take uh, uh, you know more action to uh, and, and and pull down our solutions with our individual businesses and 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 see an impact uh, on those on those businesses as well and then collectively adding to the growth of our business and the growth of our earnings growth rate uh, now quality and and relationships and take time to build. Uh, our progress is is already uh, underway, but again, we expect it to build o- over time. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. It sounds like you've got a lot of pokers in the fire, but uh, certainly the resources to to get a lot of things done there. And I appreciate you shedding uh, light on all that you're doing there with financial wellness. Uh, let's take a little bit of a turn here. I like to wrap our interviews up here on Industry Focus. We are big readers here at The Fool. Our listeners love to read. We're always looking for good book recommendations, Ken. So, can you tell us a book you've read recently, one that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know, it's interesting and one that maybe have some some slight or indirect connection to financial wellness or, or societal wellness, if you will. But a book I recently read was called Enlightenment Now uh, by, by Steven Pinker. Um, and and um, I thought it was kind of a refreshing look at uh, progress in society uh, over time, um, and the and it's it's sort of data driven. So for us analysts out there uh, that like data, you you, you connect to that, um, and it reminds us sort of that you know the progress made through science and and reasoning, but also but also caring about each other uh, has been real. Um, you know, sometimes these days it, you don't always feel that way. Yeah. But if you step back and look at kind of a bigger picture, 
um, it is certainly there to recognize. And I, I found it, I found it a bit, uh, a bit refreshing. Well, I'm going to have to put that on the list, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Uh, he's the CFO of Prudential Financial, Mr. Ken Tangi. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Once again, thanks to Sprout Social for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. What makes people love the brands that they love? In a word, connection. And social media is where they look for that connection. Sprout Social gives businesses a unified solution to find, engage with, and nurture their audiences through social. In one intuitive platform, see and respond to every message, join the conversations happening around your brand, and turn rich social data into actionable insights. Did you know that 64% of consumers say their loyalty to a brand increases when they feel connected? It's true. That's why more than 25,000 leading brands and agencies around the globe use Sprout to create real connections on social. To learn how your brand can create real connection, visit SproutSocial.com today. That's SproutSocial.com. And now joining me in the studio via Skype, certified financial planner Matt Frankel. Matt, how's it going? Oh, just great. We got a few technical difficulties sorted out, but here I am. There you are. <laughs> how did uh, how did your Mother's Day weekend go? Did you guys you guys have a good time with the family? Pretty good. We had my um, my aunt in law in town, which is about the closest I have to a mother in law. <laughs> so we celebrate mother in law Mother's Day with her this year, and we all had a good time. Nice, good deal, good deal. Uh, well, listen, we wanted to get this week kicked off with um, a company I know you follow closely, one that we talked a little bit about after earnings came out, because I tell you, the earnings came out, and the market did not react very kindly to it. We're talking about Green Dot. Uh, can you tell us what has the market in such a tissy about this earnings earnings release? Yeah, this was a bad downward move. It dropped twenty six percent on earnings day. I mean, was it that bad? I, I don't think so. A lot of people who follow me on Twitter apparently did because I got some not so nice tweets that day saying thanks for recommending Green Dot <laughs> things of that nature. What nasty messages on Twitter? <laughs> no. But I, when you take a step back and look, what actually caused it? Um, first of all, Green Dot missed on revenue, always terrible, but generally that, that's not enough to send a stock down you know, over 25%. What really happened is that Green Dot said, made an unexpected announcement that they're going to invest $60 million this year, which is a lot of money for a smaller company like Green Dot, to kind of ramp up future products, saying that they're going to focus on 2020 and beyond, essentially. So because of that, they reduced their earnings expectation for this year. They said we're not going to make. They're expecting earnings to drop 13% year over year, which, in one of the best growth markets for, for for earnings, um, is not kind of what investors wanted to hear. So no. basically, this is, it's a reaction to near-term weakness that's expected for this investment. Now, Green Dot says over time this 60 million dollars should bring in about a million new accounts, which should translate to about 200 to 300 million dollars of of earnings over time. So this is a good investment if they get it right, but it just adds a big element of risk saying we're going to focus on the future instead of today. And it's not what shorter term investors want to hear. Now, from a long term investor standpoint, this is exactly what we want to hear. It's not really what we want if we bought the stock at 70, like I'm sure a lot of people did. But this is the kind of opportunity you want as a long term investor if you believe in what the company's doing. Obviously, Green Dot's banking as a service platform is catching on. It's got Apple on board. It's got Uber on board. It's got a, you know uh, 
Intuit, TurboTax uses it. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of big companies who are really loving their product. So if they, they're, um, specifically they're investing in the banking as a service 3.0 and 4.0, the newest kind of iterations of that. So if they get this right and it continues to catch on like it has, this could be a great positive long-term. But like I said, the downside is it creates a lot of kind of wait and see and uncertainty in the short term, which is what the market's really reacting to here. Yeah. Um, is it is it safe to say that with Green Dot, I mean, this is a – they're focused more on the opportunity out there in the unbanked or the underbanked population. Is is that a fair fair statement? Yeah, it definitely seems like they're shifting to the banking as a service. I don't know if they necessarily want to shift away or if they feel like maybe they've maxed out that part of the business for the time being, as in like everyone who's going to buy prepaid debit cards is, is buying them. Yeah. So it's really hard to say whether they just feel like banking as a service is a bigger growth opportunity, which I really think it is, or if it's really a fundamental shift in the business. And yeah, you're right. That's definitely something the market could be kind of reacting to. Markets hate uncertainty in any type of uh, like anything you have to read between the lines for is usually bad. Yeah, but I, so the prepaid debit card business—that's really been the bread and butter up to this point, right? And um, you can see Green Dots—they're best known for the ones that are at Walmart, right by the checkout. Right. There's usually a display of prepaid money cards. Those are all Green Dot products. Yeah. So, like I said, they've already got like Walmart. You could buy Green Dot money cards everywhere. So maybe they think just the market for that is kind of, for the time being, as big as it's going to get. So. It's it's wait and see mode, and markets don't really like that. No, they don't. But I do agree with you. I mean, if this is an investment that ends up paying off, I mean, generally speaking, banking as a service can be a pretty sticky um, business model if they get it right. And so, I mean, that does offer its fair share of risk, maybe in the near term. But if they do execute, and I mean, it sounds like they've got at least the brand identity. Um, and, and a customer base that knows it well enough to where they've they've earned a level of trust. With consumers, and maybe they can take this next step, and it might, yeah, maybe you're talking about some headwinds in the near term, but but again, banking can be a very sticky relationship um, over time if you, if you get it right. So I guess that's what uh, that's that's what we have to look for, then I suppose. Right. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm a buyer at these levels. I well, a few days after I talk about it, I'm a buyer at these levels. But I I, I like Green Dot still for the future. I think banking as a service is a it makes a whole lot of sense for companies like Apple who don't want to be banks themselves. Right. Um, and it just, it makes a lot of sense and it's a big growth market. I mean, and you, and you talked about brand name. You're not just, now you don't just have Green Dot's brand name, but you have like Apple's brand name mm-hmm. using Green Dot's products and they're putting their name behind it. So, you know, if you get a few more big players on board like that, and this could turn into something big over time. All right. Well, makes sense to me. I guess we'll just uh, keep an eye on it and look forward to seeing how the year shakes out for them. Um, okay, let's pivot away from debit cards and talk a little bit about credit cards. You and I were reading an article uh, the other day that caught our eye, and the gist of it was that young Americans are falling seriously behind on their credit card payments. And this is data coming from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Uh, a little bit more than 8% of outstanding credit card debt among Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 was delinquent by at least 90 days. That's the highest level since early 2011. And it's by far the highest share among age groups, which then leads us to asking the questions, Matt, are these perhaps cracks in the foundation of what seems like a pretty strong economy to this point? Or is there something else at play here? What do you think? 
Well, and that's the concern. So first of all, just to kind of put this data in a little bit of context, you said you mentioned correctly, this is the highest since 2011. But before that, credit card delinquency rates were much higher. Um, the peak for that the 18 to 29 age group was 14% in 2008, you know, during a recession, bad economy. Right. But before that, um, the level was has been above 10% since 2000 for that for that age group. So it's still low on a historical basis. The concern is whether the tide's starting to shift and if we're going to see this continue to go up. Um, 8% is not an extremely high delinquency rate for credit cards. The average is somewhere around the 5% range. Synchrony, which we talk about a lot, just for example, has a net charge-off rate up for all age groups of just over 6%. Right. So 8% isn't like an insane number. It would be if you're talking about like mortgages. But for credit card debt, that's usually like the first thing to go when people hit tough times. Yep. You know, people are going to keep paying their rent. They're going to keep paying their mortgage. They're going to keep paying their car payment. But credit card debt, no one's going to come tow their car away or take their house because of it. So it's usually the last one to go or the first one to go. Yeah. And if you're going to be financially irresponsible, I'm not saying all of the 8% that are delinquent are financially irresponsible. But generally, if you if someone has a has had bad credit in their lifetime, it's because of irresponsibility when they're in the young, like, you know, just became an adult and don't know how to handle it just yep. yet. So I'm not saying that's all of it, but generally speaking, that younger age group has always been the highest delinquencies out of all the age groups. But there's a lot more pressure on this age group this these days. Uh, student loans um, have become a, a massive burden. Um, rent is going up in a lot of the markets where these younger people are finding jobs. It's, there's a lot more they have to pay for right now. So the concern is the additional burden that's being placed on people in the 18 to 24 age group and maybe the economy starting to take a turn for the worse, as people have feared. And usually, like we said, the peak of delinquencies before was in 2008, and we all know what was happening around that time. Yeah. So the worry is that not necessarily that we're headed for another great recession, but that the economy is starting to take a turn for the worse as we see credit card delinquencies start to, to tick up a little bit. Yeah, maybe not time to hit the panic button yet, but I guess you take this data, um, couple it with the data that we saw a little while back in regard to those car loans. And, and there, I mean, there is a number of, of uh, debts outstanding on, on car loans as well. It seems like maybe we are hitting a point where we need to start paying a little bit more attention here. Um, it could certainly portend something to come down uh, down the pike here. But, uh, you know, it seems like as things stand, the market is doing very well. It seems like the economy in general as well. Inflation's low. Fuel's not a burden. Um, and it makes perfect sense, like you said, that this age group is going to be the one that, that faces the most pressure in this type of a situation because they are so new to the economy. They don't have a lot of experience under their belt, and they typically are getting lower-paying jobs to begin with. And, you know, couple that with uh, a credit card environment where a lot of these banks and companies are trying to sell credit cards to students while they're still in school. Um, you know, you can mount up a lot of debt in a short period of time if you're not careful. So I guess we'll just pay attention to those numbers and see how they trend over the course of the year. Um, oh. And if you were wondering, by the way, why it's been over 10% throughout historically, and now it's not, um, right after the Great Recession is around when the CARD Act took effect. So now, like you said, trying to recruit students in school, now they're a little more limited at how they could do that. Yeah. I'm sure uh, Jason went to high school, not or to high school, to college, not far <laughs> from where I did. 
and you're not too far time-wise from where I did. Yeah. And I'm sure you had the thing where they were they would give you a free pizza just for applying for a, sure. a card. Or um, they used to hang out by USC football games and, you know, offer to give you a, a football T-shirt if you filled out an application. Oh, the incentives. And they're not allowed to do things like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, they talked about that ultra FICO. I mean, they're trying to use a little bit more data, at least, to make more educated decisions and establish credit records for people. If maybe they don't have credit, they can look at their banking relationships and get a better idea as to how um, worthy or unworthy they, they may be in regard to credit. But... Uh, yeah, it's a difficult it's a difficult landscape to maneuver I think for for anyone but certainly certainly younger consumers because there's still a lot to be learned. Um okay, hey, well Matt, let's wrap it up this week with one to watch as always. Um what's the stock you have on your radar this week? So I know it's not really a financial sector stock, but it's definitely a fintech adjacent company is Apple. I already mentioned them a couple of times sure. today. Um they do business with Green Dot they're really ramping up their payment solutions, Apple Pay and Apple Pay Cash, yep. which is the person-to-person app that they use Green Dot's uh, technology for. Um, Apple's been getting crushed over the past week or so because of the trade war stuff. If if you're not familiar, Apple gets a lot of their parts. And I, I think, believe they still actually build their iPhone in China. Yeah, I think they so, Right. So they're a, a definitely a tariff-susceptible company and have been getting pummeled. And I think over the... Over the next, the coming weeks and months, we're going to see this work itself out, and it's not going to be quite as bad as the market's trying to make it look right now. And I love Apple anywhere below two hundred bucks or so, and it's well under that right now. So I'm looking closely at it. Yep. Yeah, I like these. Uh, I like these blocks of time where those real short term concerns get some of these better companies in a little bit of a, a defensive position. I, I agree. With you. I think Apple is um, a business that's going to do just fine. Really, any environment, but if they can get them on, get their shares on sale, then hey, that's all the better. Um, I'm going to go with JP Morgan this week, and it, it's because this kind of brings two of my favorite industries together in fintech and healthcare. Uh, JP Morgan just made a deal to inquire to acquire Instamed. Uh, it, it, it was a big acquisition. The numbers weren't published, but there was research uh, that said it was a deal that was more than $500 million. So this makes it the largest acquisition for JP Morgan in, in more than a decade. But Instamed is a, a payments company focused on the healthcare space, and they processed $94 billion in payments last year. So uh, I, I just think this could be a nice little catalyst for JP Morgan in the coming years. Certainly, Jamie Dimon, a bit more of a forward-looking uh, CEO in the bank space, and um, and I like how they, they're attacking this thing on there. I'll be interested to see uh, what more they have to say about it. Uh, but hey, Matt, listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on this week. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always great to be here, and can't wait to talk more about it next week. Sure thing. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.